Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and a therapist at Still Point. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point. Josh, how have you been? Been doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Seem like I've been really busy. Last week I had my niece over, so that was fun. That is fun. Yeah. It was challenging trying to do my normal routine. I'm sure. <laughs> and yeah. And her doing virtual school. Yeah. Man, it's kind of weird seeing how they do it. And, and for them, like it's practically normal at this point. Like they just right. do their thing. Although I am curious, like <laughs> at random points, I would, I'm pretty sure she was just ditching class. <laughs> oh no. But I mean, I don't think she would, but she definitely would walk away as the teacher was talking. <laughs> so. It's much easier to do on a computer. Yeah. I mean, most of them have black screens anyway. So, but yeah, it was a good visit. Good. How have you been? I've been good. Lots of hustle and bustle with the holidays coming up and figuring out how to do holidays and what to buy and what to do. Finally put in my Christmas decorations. So that was fun. Yay, Christmas decorations. And we put our tree up about a week and a half ago or so. Thing I really like about the tree being up is that it's like a nightlight. Like a, mm -hmm. it just, so I just keep the blinds or the curtains shut all the time so I can have the tree on. And by the time people are listening to this, Christmas will be over. Yeah. So well, we hope everyone had a happy holiday. Right. Yeah. In, into the new year. And we're continuing our conversation about change. And we're going to dive into the concept of control and change and how to get through change. Josh, how do you think control impacts change? I think control is a way in which people feel safe and change. Mm -hmm. I find that if they feel like they can start directing like their lives and the people around them, it is in some way their attempt to reduce the amount of suffering or pain that can come. Mm -hmm. And what usually ends up happening is more suffering and pain is usually right. caused. Um, yeah, trying to control that chaos, it adds to the chaos sometimes instead of actually minimizing it. Yeah. I also find there's a lot of push and pull with control. Like it's usually in a dynamic with something or someone. And so whether we are trying to like control ourselves or control something outside of ourselves, and so the control becomes mutual, almost. What do you mean? Like if I'm trying to control it, it also has the potential to control me. Mm. Yeah, because if you are in the mindset that you are controlling anything, 
it already is controlling you. Right. And that's such a strange concept. Yeah, I was having a conversation the other day about how easily we give our power away. Mm. And I see like in the attempt to control, we are essentially giving our power away rather than truly harnessing it. Giving our power away instead of truly harnessing it. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. When we are attempting to control a situation or whatever, a person, ourselves, we are so wrapped up in the fear and the perceived suffering that we have lost the power to stand and be present in it because we are either in the past or in the future. We are like, like not physically. I mean, maybe <laughs> but we are, our minds are not present to our experience. And therefore like we, the power that we have is so far spread that we can't manage in this moment. I think that would take a lot of practice to balance, like not being in the past, not being in the future and having that power in the present. Takes a lot of practice and a lot of mindfulness. So Josh, this makes me think about like, if we're not controlling or if we're not seeking to control in change, then what, like, what is it that we do with that power? Like, what do we have besides control to help us through change? Connection. Connection. I mean, we do have choice whether that connection is to yourself or to someone else, then what is needed in the midst of that change will come. But I think that in connecting and having a willingness to connect, like can create the space where growth and change and healing can occur and be mutually beneficial. If I think about like a pattern or in steps, I almost think about taking a step like back in the steps and saying that we can be in charge of our power in order to create connection or in order to accept connection. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious of what our listeners think about this because I could see some people saying, no, we have to take control And I'm challenging that to say, I think we can be in charge. What is the difference for you between being in charge and being in control? Being in control or taking control is more about seeing a specific outcome or working toward a certain feeling or thought versus being in charge. You are more present to the choice that is in front of you or options of possibility. And you get to choose. Yeah, I think outside of control is where possibility lies. 
Because I think when it comes to control, as you've said, like there are very specific things that must happen in order to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about before, when we were talking about safety and how at times when we've experienced significant pain and loss, we use protective factors as a means to feel safe. And when we are using those protective factors as a means to feel safe, that is essentially in essence control. And when we are in that space, it can inhibit or impede our ability to connect to someone else or even ourselves or an experience. If I think about how to move through change and I think about the pivotal moments we come up against, we're able to evaluate what we're looking for, what's not there, what we want, figuring out where to go next. And I always see people looking for a way out. And I'm introducing the concept that I think looking for options is a better way. And we, we need intention to do that. We need to be able to look at our struggle. We need to be able to look for what we desire. And that can be especially hard if we don't think we deserve it. It's very challenging to name what we want when something or someone else has told us not to have that. And I do find that even if that is the case, there is something about what we stand for that continuously shows up even if we don't know. And I would call that integrity. The why. Why would you want something? Why do you desire this? Where does this fit in your life? How does this tie to your value, your purpose, your mission? And I think there's a lot of possibility that is held in that if we're able to observe that and be curious to it. I see integrity like earth. It's always there. You're always walking on it. You can stand on it. You can live in it. And sometimes there are fault lines in that earth. They shift, they morph, but they're still there. They're still made out of the same minerals. They might have erosion, but they also have life. And I would venture to say that I don't think any living thing lives without some form of purpose. And I think intention and integrity have the opportunity to talk to one another in order to help people through change. And even though I talked about intention first, I don't think it has to come first. I think it depends on the person of what they know to focus on, what's more important to them, what's more significant, whether they see a big picture and a wide valley, and that's more integrity, or whether they see a more narrow present moment, which is more like the intention of now. And then there's how to integrate those two. Like how will you move through that? How do you decide to move forward? What is your first step? And being in charge of your choice takes practice. That repetition, creating that pattern, changing a pattern. Usually integration promotes movement, trying things, showing something outside of your internal world, turning your thoughts or your feelings into action. And I find that that is one of the hardest things for people to do, or at least it's hard for me. And sometimes I don't want to be in charge of that change because being in charge means that you are harnessing that power and that takes a lot of energy. 
It takes you having to trust yourself with that power. Mm. And I think power gets a bad rap sometimes. It and does. so to transition it into something that can be harnessed or can be empowering, it can be a difficult transition. But I agree, you have to know what that power is, where it's coming from, possible ways to to use it or harness it, cultivate it, create it in order to move through change in a way that is honoring and not more disruptive to your life. Josh, what about you? How do you see people moving through change? I see moving through change as a kicking, screaming, flailing. <laughs> no. Um, I do think that there are very specific steps and I think what you laid out fits into like multiple categories of what I have. So if you want to make a change or you're thrust into the midst of change, the first thing we need to do is be able to see ourselves objectively. We have to be able to get to a point to where we're able to actually see and question and be that third person in our head, not the one that's saying, go do this, or the one that says, are you sure about that? But we have to recognize that we're the third person that's observing those two experiences happening at once. And if there's something that we're wanting to change, we have to find the habits that are associated with the thing we want to change. So rather than just doing something to remedy what we're doing or what we want to change, we have to find the habits that, have, that we've created around this thing that we keep falling into. Because for example, if someone wants to lose weight and they find themselves snacking throughout the day, then they have to start addressing the habits they've created rather than just shifting everything. Or, I mean, yes, eventually we may be shifting everything, but it's more about finding why things are happening for the reason that they're happening or why we're doing the things that we're doing and addressing those why questions. So we have to see ourselves objectively. We have to be able to self-reflect. We have to start looking at the whys of why we've been doing these things. What is the basis of these things? We have to set in order a new way of attempting to try these new things. And then we have to practice it every day, no matter what. <laughs> and I think that within that, like we have to be able to set realistic goals. And like through undergraduates and grad school, like the favorite thing that I think every professor ever talked about are SMART goals. SMART goals is an acronym for 
specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-oriented. So finding something that truly is attainable, like if your goal is to lose 100 pounds in two days, then it's probably not going to happen. But if you have the goal of losing two pounds a week, maybe that is more attainable and more realistic. But then it goes back to practicing every single day and all that stuff. And the next step kind of ties into the first step, like that, that self-reflection and self-examination, like being able to be objective and free of criticism, blame, and shame is going to be really important. And Josh, I think that is imperative to, for not only yourself, but also other people. Right. I mean, because I think that there is a time for doing and a time for questioning. There's, I mean, because if we are all doing all the time and we don't self-reflect, then we are going to rally off the rails really quickly. However, if we are only thinking and reflecting and not doing, then we're stagnant and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a balance between what we are doing and how we're integrating things versus how we are reflecting and examining those integrity pieces and our intentional pieces. And then we have to surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth. And I think this is really hard because it takes the change that we're wanting to make and asking others to hold us accountable for that change. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets really scary because a lot of times we feel that if I don't tell anybody about me wanting to do this change, then if it doesn't work or I get tired of it, then I can just go back to the way things were. Right. Um, I've never done that. No, me either. Only every other day. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, um, for those who are truly wanting to make change, finding an accountability buddy And I don't know why I just thought of lightning buddies from Ted, but anyway, um, is that what they're called? Thunder buddies, thunder buddies. Um, From what? Ted, the talking teddy bear. Like. Oh, Teddy Ruxpin? No, you've never seen Ted, the movie with Mark Wahlberg and the Ted talking teddy bear. Sorry, I'm a little bit older. (laughs) I was thinking about Teddy Ruxpin. (laughs) <laughs> well, I had one of those too. <laughs> well, my brother did. He played cassettes in his butt. <laughs> I think my mom still has mine. That that is probably worth a mint. Just saying. Might not work, but. But yeah, I do think that we must surround ourselves with people who are willing to hold us accountable for the changes that we're wanting to make finding those who kind of like what we talked about being able to find those who will align with our vision is important, but also those who will help us keep on track of our intention so that we can maintain our integrity as we move through integration. That accountability piece. I 
would hope we would not get confused with other people controlling it. Or their criticism. Or their criticism. Or other people being in charge of it. Right. And accountability is where someone is witnessing. Someone is helping you remember. Someone is sharing objectively instead of placing their hurt or judgment on you. And then I think that it's important too, bringing that up. I think it's important for people to recognize that when they are asking someone to hold them accountable, they can ask for very specific things in order for their partner or friend or whomever to help hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you need me to address this with you? How do you want me to handle this? Or if this comes up, like, how do we need to talk about this? Like, what is it that you need to hear? And sometimes an accountability partner is a lot of encouragement. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I hope you're doing well today. Like, how's your goal going? Like, how can I help? Like, I mean, So, yeah, I do think that it is important to understand that, A, we have to be selective with the people we choose for accountability, and also, like, don't be afraid to tell them what you need in order for them to best support you. Yeah, making that ask is sometimes the hardest part. Yeah. And then, lastly, like, we have to be willing to take a risk. There's always a perception of risk. The fear of failure will keep people from trying something new more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And they will revert back to that control. Yeah. And it's one of those things that if we try and fail, at least we've tried, which is that same thing that everybody says. And... I find that like in my therapy sessions, I don't generally use the word fail or failure. Mm -hmm. I use the word lesson. Like this is a learning experience. So how can we take what it is that we've gained from that experience to better ourselves for our next adventure? Mm Mm-hmm. So making meaning. Yes. Because so many times or so often we get caught up in the things that went wrong rather than being able to see what was right or to see the value of what it is or what it was that we experienced Mm -hmm. that we miss out on the lesson. And then we keep repeating the same things over and over again. Yeah. So Abby, what is the risk and change. So I'll actually start off with the opposite of what I think risk is. I see the opposite of risk as waiting for certainty, waiting for proof, waiting for something to be insured instead of taking that chance. And I like the word chance better than risk because I think risk has a negative connotation to it as if you're be, you're putting yourself in danger, you're putting yourself at risk, like something bad is more than likely going to happen. And so if we're taking a chance, we are sitting in uncertainty. It could be positive, it could be negative. You could have different results, you could have different opportunities, 
different combinations, different consequences. And these things could be known or unknown. It's kind of like there's a cost and benefit to every choice. And I see the biggest risk or biggest chance is taking a chance on yourself, stepping into that power, engaging that trust, living with that intention or that integrity and moving more towards a, an experience of liberation instead of control. What about you? Yeah, I think that there's always quote unquote risk in change. I do think we look at the negative connotations to risk as that survival mechanism when experiencing change. I feel we get so caught up in the what ifs of change that we cannot see the beauty in the possibility that also lies there. So I see risk as possibility. It is the possibility that suffering or pain can mean something and be something different. It's the possibility that joy can be the state we live in. It's the possibility that the what ifs I have been telling myself are not true. It is the possibility that our story does not have to continue the same way. I mean, I don't think that means we're always going to be happy. That doesn't mean we're always going to be able to see the possibility in what lies before us. But I think it gives us an opportunity to be willing to take a chance and to trust ourselves to flow in the proverbial river of life and just <laughs> kind of flow with it and rather than resist it. And I think there is a learning in how to hold both and how to hold that fear and that possibility. One resource I wanted to make sure to mention is, is called tapping. And there's different people who do it. A lot of times I refer people to the Tapping Solution app or the Tapping Solution company. And it's a family-owned business and they have created lots of different tapping meditations where you utilize like tapping with your fingers on pressure points of the body and having affirmative statements to transition your thought and calm your central nervous system. And how you start is that most pressing issue statement where it holds both worlds. It holds the fear and it holds the possibility. And so the first part of the statement is, you know, even though, and then you fill in the blank. So even though I fear, even though I'm in pain, even though this change is happening. And then the second part is what you want or what you desire. I can still stand strong. I want to keep moving. I desire, you know, whatever it is. And for me, that ties in how we can be present to emotional awareness and how that impacts what we do while we're moving through change. What do you think about that? Like, I think that when it comes to risk, seeing the possibility that we are capable of managing what is coming, even if we can't see it, 
is huge. And I think the most pressing issue statement can be really helpful to help us recognize that like at this rate, everything we've come against in our life, all the changes, whether they've been bad or good or painful or whatever, we've gotten through a hundred percent of them. Mm-hmm. And if it is a way for us to, to lean in and to help us see the possibility that we are capable of managing it, then I think that it is a worthwhile tool to help us learn to take charge of our lives in a way that does not have to lend itself to control. Beautifully said. Josh, what else do you have about emotional awareness through change? Yeah, I think emotional awareness is our GPS system through change. It's being able to use our emotional intelligence and the feelings in our body, our somatic experiences, in a way that can help us release what was, embrace what is, and hope for what is to come. It can help provide perspective and can help increase our gratitude and appreciation. It, coupled with self-reflection, can be used together in a really powerful way because it can help us be objective to the experiences that we've been through or that we are going through while allowing us to move through the emotional pieces that are tied to those experiences and release them so that we can heal and grow. The emotional awareness can help create a place where pain and fear were and can help us keep in check those things that would lend itself to control the fear, the pain. I also like the concept of like remembering our growth allows you to feel, which is like part of what I'm hearing you share. Because to truly allow yourself to feel like where you've been and the accomplishments that you've had in order to get to the point you're at, even if while going through them, they didn't feel that way. I think, I think it helps us harness that, that power and moving in the direction that we want. And I think emotional awareness is, I mean, it's obviously a different lens for us to be able to experience things. I mean, so rather than holding on to the focus of avoiding pain and fear, it allows us to reach into the expansiveness and experience of our true human experience. Mm. It allows us to learn like new limits. It allows us to understand how to be more open and receiving. And I think it can help us in process of self-reflection so that we're able to hold space for ourselves so that we can move forward. Josh, what I hear you talking about is a liberating experience that you are not trapped in the only experience you were perceiving in that moment. There is more. 
There's more in what you can think, what you can feel, what you can do, what you can sense. And we get to be in charge of what we create. Without feeling, we have to control it. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a foreign concept. I've heard Carolyn Miss talk about change. And something that I found liberating is that she offered like the wisdom to give to others what you want to be with them. Like that's my translation of it. But she is essentially saying to give your wisdom, not your suffering. And so many times we come to ourselves or come to other people to like give our suffering. I think it, it's a necessary process. It's, an, it's a normal process for us to share our suffering, for it to be heard, to be validated, for us to be seen as human, for us to know that we're not alone. And I hope that we can consider how we can also bring our wisdom and be able to express that just as freely. And so that both the loss and the possibility can be held instead of just the suffering. What is the most important thing you want people to hear? What I would want people to know is that there is possibility for joy beyond one's own suffering. There's possibility for joy beyond one's own suffering. Josh, as you're talking, I can't help but think about The River by Garth Brooks. And I had to sing this like in middle school or high school. I forget when it was in a choir. Um, it was really fun. It's like a very emotional song. And if you've never heard of it, heard it or um, even if you don't like country, I would encourage you to listen to it. And there's parts of it like phrases that really apply to what we're talking about. Like there's lines in it that say, you know, trying to learn from what's behind you and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle just to stay between the shores. And then the chorus is, and I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. I think there is this process of trusting yourself in the midst of what will appear. And what will appear may or may not be what you set out to create, but it can become what you create. And I think that's the wisdom in it, is when you start trusting yourself, you can see what you're creating, you can move in that direction, even in the midst of loss and change. I find that when we allow ourselves to see the possibility that lies beyond our pain we are able to start defining life in a way that can support us rather than what we have defined it as up until that point and i find that there is a part of life that is supposed to have an ease to it that does not mean it will be easy but I do think that there is a part of life that is just supposed to be flowy. Mm -hmm. And when life is not, I think that is a perfect indication of when we should start being self-reflective and asking ourselves, how can I be showing up so that this can flow more easily? Mm -hmm. And we, th that's the direction that we're headed in our, um, 
next podcast is looking at loss, how to flow with that, especially in the midst of change. As always, thanks for listening. And please check out our website at www.stillpointhealing.com. And you can check out our Facebook and Pinterest page at Still Point Healing. And until next time, 